Hello and welcome to episode 784 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Thursday, January 25th, 2024, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, a very Merry Christmas to you. We are celebrating the full Christmas season right up until Candlemas here on the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Let us begin with the Thursday prayer to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain heaven by the great saint and doctor of the church, Alphonsus Liguri. O Queen of Paradise, who reignest above all the choirs of angels, and who art the nearest of all creatures to God, I, a miserable sinner, salute thee from this valley of tears and beseech thee to turn thy compassionate eyes towards me, for whichever side they turn, they dispense graces. See, O Marian, how many dangers I now am and shall be as long as I live in this world of losing my soul, of losing heaven and God. In thee, O Lady, I have placed all my hopes. I love thee and sigh to go soon to see thee and praise thee in heaven. Ah, Mary, when will be that happy day on which I shall see myself safe at thy feet and contemplate my mother, who has done so much for my salvation? When shall I kiss that hand which has delivered me so many times from hell and has dispensed me so many graces when, on account of my sins, I deserve to be hated and abandoned by all. My lady, in life I have been very ungrateful to thee, but if I get to heaven I shall no longer be ungrateful. There I shall love thee as much as I can in every moment for all eternity, and shall make amends for my ingratitude by blessing and thanking thee forever. I thank God with my whole heart who gives me firm confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thee, and the conviction that thou wilt save me, that thou wilt deliver me from my sins, that thou wilt give me light and strength to execute the divine will, and in fine that thou wilt lead me to the gate of paradise. Thy servants have hoped for all this, and not one of them was deceived. No, neither shall I be deceived. O Mary, my full confidence is that thou hast to save me. Beseech thy son Jesus, as I also beseech him, by the merits of his passion, to preserve and always increase his confidence in me, and I shall be saved. Today, friends, we're going to take a look at the second part of the message of Fatima, the great reset in Christ, by... Christopher Ferrara for the Fatima Center. This was a talk that was given at the Rome Life Forum on November 1st, 2023. And it wasn't split up into two parts, obviously, as the talk, but for time's sake here on the podcast, I'm splitting it up into two sections. And what we're going to start with today begins with the reality of sin. Mr. Ferrara says, what is the essence of the Fatima message? It's something that the itching ears of the synodiacs don't want to hear. Fatima reminds man of the horror of sin, its temporal and eternal consequences, and the means of averting the worst of those consequences, global chastisement in this life and eternal damnation in the next, through acts of reparation to be practiced by each individual and by the church universal. As Cardinal Mueller told us in his devastating summary of the just-concluded synod, They're changing the definition of sin. There are no sins for some of them. They're only wounded people. They're not sinners. They're wounded people, wounded by the church, by the doctrine of the church. But of course, there are still some sins that this Pope recognizes and condemns. For example, the failure to recycle, using too much air conditioning, and refusing the COVID vaccination. Yet at Fatima, Our Lady made it clear that sin is real, and hell is real. She showed the children a vision of hell, and as Lucia put it, if that hadn't been cut short, they would have died of fright just looking at it. 
what they had been shown. So given those realities, Our Lady issued an admonition that the Synodiacs seemed determined to consign to oblivion. People must amend their lives and ask pardon for their sins. They must not offend our Lord anymore, for he is already too much offended. This need for true conversion in the face of impending divine wrath anathema to the post-conciliar mentality lies at the heart of the message of Fatima. It's also a major theme throughout scriptures and the life of the church. Consider St. John the Baptist, Jonah, and the Ninevites, and the reforms of Cluny, St. Francis, St. Dominic, and many others. Repentance and acts of reparation and petition, not synods, are what the Mother of God delivered for the welfare of souls. The good of the church and the rescue of the world from its headlong rush into what Pope Leo XIII prophetically described as final disaster. So let us recall what the message of Fatima prescribes for the salvation of souls and the rescue of the world from a richly deserved chastisement, the power of the rosary. First of all, obviously, the rosary. In all six apparitions, Our Lady asked the children to pray the rosary. She asked the same of us, pray the rosary every day. Our Lady revealed to Sister Lucia that in our times, the rosary has been given special efficacy, We know about the Battle of Lepanto and the role the Rosary played in that miraculous triumph. Perhaps you've read of the Siege of Vienna in 1683, in which the chaplain of the Holy League, Father Marco Diaviano, told the forces fighting against Islam to pray the Rosary. They had a miraculous victory repelling Islam and ending the military threat by Islam to the European mainland until our present time. An example of the special efficacy of the rosary in modern times is the inexplicable exit of the Soviets from eastern Austria in 1955. To this day, historians and political scientists cannot explain why the Soviets packed up and left eastern Austria. Perhaps it had something to do with a million people engaging in a rosary rally for the expulsion of the Soviets. More recently, in the church, Sumorum Pontificum was issued after a rosary crusade involving more than a million rosaries, as was the lifting of the excommunications of the four bishops of the Society of St. Pius X. The power of the rosary surpasses all interventions by human movements alone, no matter how nobly intended those movements are. The Immaculate Heart of Mary Second, devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. During the apparition of June 13, 1917, Our Lady enveloped the children in a great light of grace and revealed to them her Immaculate Heart, pierced by many thorns representing the sins of humanity. Our Lady said, God wills to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. To whoever embraces this devotion, I promise salvation. Those souls shall be dear to God as flowers placed by me to adorn his throne. Here, too, we encounter an element of Catholic piety that is anathema to the post-conciliar mentality and the so-called Synodal Church. The fulfillment of the Fatima prophecy lies precisely in the triumph of the Immaculate Heart over the powers and principalities that dominate the world and have infiltrated the Church in our time. That means nothing other than the return of the social kingship of Christ the King. Christ the King and Mary his Queen. In my book, Liberty, the God that Failed, I wrote about a group of Protestants in the 1860s who proposed to amend the U.S. Constitution to make an explicit recognition of the social kingship of Christ. They wanted the preamble of the Constitution to say that the will of Christ is the revealed law of the land. 
If you read the proceedings of the conventions that these Protestants attended, including a retired Supreme Court justice, some of the statements in them could have been written by Leo XIII himself. That proposal was presented to President Lincoln, but it died in committee in Congress. So the process for constitutional amendment never got underway. Even Protestants could recognize the necessity of the social kingship of Christ over the corporate existence of men and nations. That is what the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is all about. The need for reparation. Third, devotion to the Immaculate Heart is inseparable from the concept of reparation by means of personal penance and public repertory acts. The reality of sin means not only that we must stop sinning, but we also have to repair the damage done by sin to the glory and honor of God. We must make reparation not just for our own sins, but for the sins of others as well. Who knows how many catastrophes have already been averted by the penance and repertory acts of a relatively few souls in a convent or monastery somewhere. Imagine the effects of concerted acts of reparation by millions of Catholics led by the Pope and the bishops. Christ's death is the greatest act of reparation ever offered on behalf of humanity, obviously. Our Lady was perfectly united to our Lord in his sacrifice. She offered her very life as an act of reparation. Prayer and penance are the means by which each of us can offer reparation. When Sister Lucia asked our Lord what penance might be offered, there was no reference to hair shirts or starving yourself, but simply fulfilling the duties of state. That is the penance. It may not seem like much, but given the pervasive madness afflicting the world today, it takes heroic virtue just to dress and act modestly, to profess true doctrine and worship God rightly, and to fulfill one's duty to one's family. That simple prescription is a far cry from the minds of the synodiacs, who seem intent on eliminating the very concepts of sin and penance and reducing the commandments to mere desiderata, more or less capable of achievement depending on one's circumstances, as we read in the truly condemnable document Amoris Laetitia. The Great Secret of Fatima Now we arrive at the core of the message, the Great Secret of Fatima. Of all the apparitions of Our Lady in 1917, the one with the greatest import on events today was the apparition of July 13, which was later authenticated by the miracle of the sun. During that apparition of July 13, Our Lady revealed the great secret of Fatima, which consists, as we know, of three parts. The first part was the vision of hell, one I've already mentioned. And of this, Our Lady said, You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. In the second part of the secret, we have the familiar prophecy that if people do not cease offending God, then the world will be punished by means of war, hunger, and persecution of the Church and the Holy Father. That happened, and it's happening today. Our Lady predicted that World War I would end. Yet, if humanity continued to offend God, a worse war would break out. That was, of course, World War II. But she promised that she would return to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. She said in a conditional prophecy, if my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. Of course, we're seeing these prophecies play out in our times. 
except for the annihilation of various nations. That would obviously be the ultimate consequence of failing to heed Our Lady's prescriptions. In a moment, I'll show how the vision that the Vatican published pertaining to the Third Secret seems to pertain to that ultimate consequence. Now, the second part of the Great Secret ended with a certain prophecy, not conditional, but certain. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, which will be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. We await the fulfillment of those promises. They will happen when Russia is consecrated to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, and that will mean the return of Russia to the unity of the Catholic Church. The mystic and poet Soloviev predicted there would be a great war, the East versus the West, during which Russia would indeed reunite with the Catholic Church, and the schism of more than a thousand years duration would be ended. That prophecy of Soloviev was issued at the turn of the 20th century. Its fulfillment seemingly coincides with the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. We know that it will happen because the Mother of God promised that it will. The only question is, when will it take place? And what will be the state of the world when it happens? Will a Pope conduct the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary at the edge of a blast crater that used to be Rome? We don't know. But we obviously have yet to see anything that could reasonably be called the triumph of the Immaculate Heart in the world. We know Our Lady's requests for the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays and the consecration of Russia have not been fulfilled in the manner that heaven expects. The Consecration of Russia Regarding that consecration, I'm reminded of Father Gruner's reference to the story of Naaman, the Syrian general. See 4 Kings chapter 5, verses 1-15. through 15. God laid a simple command on Naaman through his prophet. Bathe seven times in the river Jordan and your leprosy will be cured. Not six times, but seven times. Not the river you prefer, which you think is better than the muddy river Jordan, but the river Jordan. Naaman tried to substitute another river. He was not cured. His servant said, in essence, what have you got to lose? Why don't you just listen to what the prophet says? On the seventh immersion from bathing in the Jordan River, Naaman's leprosy was cured. What does this scriptural lesson teach us? It says that when heaven makes a request, you do what heaven requests. You don't insert your interpolations. You don't substitute a river. You don't substitute a nation or a thing. You do exactly what God has requested. And at Fatima, he requested the consecration of Russia, nothing else, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, by the Pope in union with all the Catholic bishops, who are commanded to participate in a solemn public ceremony. The consecration of Russia, and Russia alone. Not the world, not all of humanity, but simply and only Russia. Incredibly enough, on at least 14 occasions since 1942, the popes have failed to carry out heaven's directive in just the manner that the Mother of God specified. In 1989, an anonymous Vatican memo asserted John Paul II had fulfilled Our Lady's request in 1984. Everybody was told to support the party line. This despite the fact that immediately after the consecration, John Paul II himself acknowledged that Our Lady was still awaiting the consecration she had requested. Let's look at the history of these attempts. In 1942, Pius XII consecrated the whole of humanity, not what was requested. He did mention the people of Russia in an apostolic letter, 
Sacro Virgente Anno, 1952, but there was no public ceremony and the bishops did not participate. In 1981 and 1982, John Paul II consecrated the whole human race, not Russia. In 1984, he consecrated men and nations who were in special need of this entrustment and consecration. No mention of Russia. In 2000, he consecrated, get this, all people, babies not yet born, those in poverty and suffering, youth in search of meaning, the unemployed, those suffering hunger and disease, troubled families, the elderly, all who are alone and without help. I remember saying to a friend of mine at the time, they should just do an omnibus ceremony at the Vatican in which they say, we hereby consecrate absolutely everything in the world except Russia. So I asked myself, by what perverse mystery of iniquity has Pope after Pope failed or refused to do what heaven requested? Then we come to Francis. We thought, at last, the Pope has announced he's going to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart, and the bishops will join him. And this will be, at long last, paradoxically, enough from this destroyer Pope, the fulfillment of Our Lady's simple request at Fatima. Drum roll. And then, on that day we heard, Therefore, Mother of God and our Mother, to your Immaculate Heart, we solemnly entrust and consecrate ourselves, the Church, and all humanity, especially Russia and Ukraine. No, no, no. Russia gets an honorable mention at the end of another laundry list? Why? What explains this resolute failure? Isn't it curious that every time one of these ceremonies is done, they tell us the consecration has been effected, then they turn around and try again? I count something like 14 attempts. I was optimistic about this most recent one. I thought, well, there is a mention of Russia, even though it's just an honorable mention, along with other things. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the fruits are. And the fruits are World War III, essentially. That's heaven's answer to that latest fumbled attempt. Our Lord told Sister Lucia that he would not bring about Russia's conversion without Russia's specific consecration, precisely because it had to be acknowledged as having been affected through the mediation of the Immaculate Heart, so that devotion to it would be facilitated worldwide. Everyone would see that Russia, having been consecrated to the Immaculate Heart, underwent a miraculous conversion. There would be no doubt on the matter. As with the miracle of the sun, no one would have to tell anyone that a miracle had, occur had occurred. Like the 70,000 who saw that miracle, they knew it, and no one could tell them otherwise. Today, a disbelieving, sin-entrenched humanity will clearly have to see nothing short of a miraculous cause and effect in order to believe in the efficacy of the intervention of the Mother of God. And so, heaven still awaits the consecration of Russia and Russia alone. And if I can interject for a moment, I said this is a very disputed topic, but obviously you have Mr. Ferrara's two cents on the matter. He continues, the third secret. This brings me to the third secret of Fatima. It is the third part of the great secret. On June 26, 2000, the Vatican disclosed an enigmatic vision, which it said was the third secret. In the vision, we see the following. In a half-ruined city, a pope barely escaping alive, he makes his way to the top of a hill, leaving behind a city filled with the dead. At the top of the hill, he kneels before a cross made of cork bark. Curious detail. 
And while he's kneeling there, he is assassinated by a group of soldiers who fire bullets and arrows at him. I'm reminded of Einstein's remark that the next world war, after the third world war, will be thought, fought with bows and arrows because regular weapons will have been destroyed. That's quite a detailed account of the execution of a future pope. In the same vision, Lucia explains that they saw a figure in white. We had the impression that it was the Holy Father, only to say later on that the Holy Father is executed. Are these two bishops dressed in white residing in the Vatican at the time this prophecy is fulfilled? Now, what do we know about the problem with this vision? There isn't a single word of explanation by the Blessed Virgin Mary. She explains something as obvious as hell to the three seers. They knew what they were looking at, but she still said to them, you have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. Nothing, not a word from Our Lady by way of explanation of this enigmatic vision. We were told that Cardinal Sodano would interpret the vision for us. The scandal-ridden Vatican prelate would be the Oracle of Fatima. Now, the fact that they had to drag in Cardinal Sodano to explain this vision is evidence that something is obviously missing. What is it missing? It's the words of the Virgin that follow what Sister Lucia wrote down in her fourth memoir. In Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, etc. When asked about that telltale phrase, which is obviously the beginning of the Virgin's explanation about what happens to dogma and the rest of the church, Carlo Bertone said, well, in my opinion, I think it pertains to the second part of the secret events of the 20th century. To which anyone with any perception would immediately say, what do you mean, in your opinion? Didn't you ask Sister Lucia what the Virgin said that's indicated by the etc.? Of course he did. Of course he knows the answer. And of course, he's never going to tell us the answer. He was never going to tell us because the answer is not what they want us to hear. So let no one lend any credence to Cardinal Sodano's ludicrous contention that the vision of a pope being executed outside a ruined city filled with the dead signifies John Paul II escaping death at the hands of a lone assassin in the perfectly intact city of Rome. Recall what Benedict XVI said 13 years ago. I return to that quote. He said, The secret regards future events, which over time will develop and become clear. It relates to the reality that the worst attacks on the church come from within because of sin within the church, as to which there is no reference whatsoever in the vision. So where did Benedict XVI get this insight? He obviously got it from the words that follow. In Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved. I don't have the time to go through the 101 reasons that I've compiled for doubting Cardinal Bertone's account and to reach the conclusion to a moral certainty that there is a text in which the Virgin explains this vision, not Cardinal Sodano, but the Mother of God. What does the angel in the vision of the third secret declare three times as flames of destruction emanate from his sword? Flames which the Virgin repels, but not before the destruction we see. He says one word three times, penance, penance, penance. And what did Pope Benedict XVI say on his pilgrimage to Fatima regarding the third secret? It's time to relearn the basics of the faith. The secret is a warning about sin within the church. We need to learn the necessity of conversion and patience and the justice of God. I am convinced all of that is in the text we haven't seen. 
In the 13 years that have elapsed since Pope Benedict XVI's revelations concerning the third secret, do we not find confirmation that, as Cardinal Luigi Chappi, the papal theologian to five different popes revealed, in the third secret it is foretold, among other things, that the great apostasy in the church will begin at the top? I believe that question answers itself. Essential apparitions after 1917. We also have to consider apparitions after those of 1917. On December 10, 1925, Our Lady appeared to Sister Lucia in Pontevedra, Spain, promising to assist at the moment of death with all the graces necessary for salvation, all those who on the five, who on the first Saturday of five consecutive months shall one, confess, two, receive Holy Communion, three, recite five decades of the rosary, and four, keep me company for 15 minutes while meditating on the 15 mysteries of the rosary with five, the intention of making reparation to me. On June 13, 1929, she appeared to Sister Lucia at Tui to say, the moment has come in which God asks the Holy Father to make in union with all the bishops of the world, the consecration of Russia to my immaculate heart, promising to save it by this means. Another subsequent apparition sheds light on God's deadline, for lack of a better word. In August of 1931, our Lord appeared to Sister Lucia while she was praying in a chapel at Rianjo, Spain. He said to her, Make it known to my ministers, given that they follow the example of the King of France in delaying the execution of my command, they will follow him into misfortune. He was referring to the request he made to the French kings in 1689, although Sister Margaret Mary Alacoque, excuse me, through Sister Margaret Mary Alacoque, to publicly consecrate France to his sacred heart. The kings failed to do so. One hundred years later, to the day, the king of France was stripped of his authority, later to be executed, as the French Revolution spread violence and terror throughout the eldest daughter of the church. I ask whether God, in his mercy, has issued a second 100-year warning at Fatima. We're fast approaching the 100th anniversary of the request for the first Saturday devotion, December 10, 2025, and the 100th anniversary of the request for the consecration of Russia, June 13, 2029. There are exactly three and a half years between those two dates, and we all know the apocalyptic implications of the time frame. Three and a half years. The time of the tribulation and the length of our Lord's public life. So we're late. We're very late in obeying our, our Lord's commands. This is why the message is so urgent right now. Terrible events are unfolding before our eyes, the likes of which the church has never witnessed. But to recall what our Lord told Sister Lucia, it is never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary, which brings us to a plan of action. The only solution. In conclusion, it should be apparent just from these brief indications that the Fatima message is heaven's solution, the only solution for the crisis now besetting us. It's never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary, but we must act now. As we have already noted, Our Lady prophesied that her request would be fulfilled and her Immaculate Heart would triumph. While that ultimate outcome is assured, how terrible will be the spiritual and physical chastisements we have to endure before then? How many souls and lives will be lost? Consider the apparitions of Our Lady at Akita to Sister Sasagawa, whom I met in Japan. The essence of the apparition was the warning, if men do not change their ways, 
Fire will rain down from heaven and destroy a great part of humanity. The living will envy the dead. Cardinals will oppose cardinals. Bishops will oppose bishops. Altars will be sacked. Priests who are faithful to their vocation will be persecuted. When asked about that message by the Philippines ambassador to the Vatican, then Cardinal Ratzinger said it's essentially the same as the message of Fatima. Now the mystery of grace and free will means that it does depend on us to participate in the activities that would mitigate the ultimate catastrophe. What does that mean, practically speaking? Obviously, first, cease offending God and amend our lives. As a minimum, that means avoiding mortal sin and remaining in the state of grace. Second, pray the rosary every day. If you're not doing that, at least, you're AWOL, a deserter. I speak as someone who had lived decades before I developed the habit. That's the minimum we can do. Third, consecrate yourself to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Pray and sacrifice. Make whatever sacrifice you can for the intention of the Pope and bishops to consecrate Russia as requested by heaven. Fourth, wear the brown scapular faithfully. I know that we all do. And live chastely according to your state in life. You can recite the rosary, if not the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Fifth, offer prayer and penance. Perform your daily duties cheerfully. Don't run from your obligation to your family. Do what has to be done. Sixth, practice the first Saturday devotion. Do it at least five times in consecutive months. Tell others to do the same, thereby fulfilling Our Lady's request. The Fatima Center is issuing a first Saturday challenge to Catholics throughout the world. Let us offer a spiritual bouquet to Our Lady for the completion of 100,000 Five First Saturdays by the 100th anniversary of her request for that devotion, December 10, 2025. Now, we can't force the Pope and the bishops to properly consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart, but we can help fulfill Our Lady's forgotten Fatima request, as some call it, with the completion of the Five First Saturdays devotion. The Fatima Center will establish a webpage in which you can register the completion of the Five First Saturdays in support of that campaign. After you finish five for yourself, why not continue with more? Try to get others to do Five First Saturdays. Around the beginning of Advent, there's going to be a website, and this has already been put up, of course, www.fatima.org slash 100 by 100 for you to obtain the information for that practical activity. Lastly, someone pointed out that intrinsic to the message of Fatima is that of family. So the seventh prescription, I would say, is to the younger among us, have many children. When I had a general practice, not the religious liberties work I've been doing since the early 90s, people would come to my office with bankruptcy problems, financial problems of all kinds. I would say to them, here's the way you do this, not chapter 13. Have more children, and then you will have more money. They would look at me like I was crazy, but I felt I had a duty to tell them that. Have children. That's the seventh and final prescription. Repopulate the world with Catholics and watch the world begin to renew itself again. By carrying out these acts of devotion and reparation and urging others to do so, we will help merit the graces needed for the church to establish worldwide devotion to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart for the consecration of Russia, the consequent triumph of her Immaculate Heart, the true and integral restoration of the church, and peace in the world. In the end, Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph.
will indeed triumph. My only hope is that we will all live to see it. Thank you and God bless you. And may God richly bless Mr. Ferrara for that excellent talk. Going to conclude, friends, by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's H-A-L-O hyphen S-O-M-A.org. Also, please tune into episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. There, you will find more information pertaining to RPM. That's an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method. This is a system of communication for non-speakers. Before my niece was about eight years old, we didn't even know her favorite color. Now we know that she is a comprehensive genius who composes music, poetry, very skilled in regards to mathematics. She knows foreign languages. We would have known none of that were it not for RPM. It has been as big of a breakthrough for non-speakers as sign languages for the deaf in terms of their being able to communicate or in terms of being able to read. We can point to, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Braille for the blind. Communication is a human right. Imagine how sad and frustrated you would be if you were unable to communicate. So please spread that website and those episodes of Our Lady's podcast far and wide. God bless you for doing so. God bless you for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please say an Ave Maria for yours truly, and I will talk to you again very soon. Goodbye, and God love you.